I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, a few weeks ago, a pastor in Florida was fired. He was fired because he was caught stealing $1,000 from the offering on Christmas Eve. And after they put him in that little white room and shined that lamp on his face for a while, he admitted that that was not the first time. Three years ago, a pastor in South Carolina made national news because he was under financial investigation. The thing that triggered their financial investigation was the big show that he made in buying his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini for their anniversary. As long as there has been generosity, there have been people who have tried to take advantage of generosity. As long as there's been generous people, there have been other people who have tried to take advantage of that generosity. And money and the use of money is an incredibly powerful thing. Finances have the power to bless and they have the power to lead astray. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 verse 15, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And later in that same chapter, in verse 21, he warns us not to lay treasures up on earth for ourselves, but instead, we are to try to be rich toward God. Likewise, in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus goes on to say that no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And yet, for as long as there has been generosity, there have been people who have tried to take advantage of that generosity. Some people, even in God's work, have tried to serve both God and money. You know, life is full of examples that display the scriptural principles that God teaches us. And because life is full of those examples, the scripture is also one to give us some of those examples, both negative examples and positive examples. And today, we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 and on, and we see a positive example of financial integrity and faithfulness in the midst of generosity and in the midst of a society that has plenty of negative examples. As we turn to this text, we see that Paul has been encouraging the Corinthian Christians to participate in God's work and to make a visible display of God's grace in their life. And the way that they're called to do this is through their financial giving and through their generosity. And now he is assuring them that their generosity is met with the requisite Integrity. That's the backdrop of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so look with me at verse 16 as we begin to read. This is what Paul says. 
He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he is also appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the, in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting before you to these men. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul is addressing the church with regard to Christian giving and dispositional generosity. We call it dispositional generosity because he is talking about a one-time gift that is being collected to administer to other Christians who are in need. But he's also fostering within them more than just a particular action. He's fostering within them a disposition. And this topic might feel to some of us like a departure from what he was already teaching them, like he's taking a hard turn to the right or to the left. But in fact, it's actually intimately related, just as spiritual matters and material matters are intimately related. Paul teaches them that their outlook on God informs how they should look at their money and how they should use this money that the Lord has entrusted to them. But Paul's enemies were skeptical. They were skeptical and they accused him of not taking a payment from them because he had devised other ways of fleecing the flock. And so now, he defends his integrity by pointing to financial integrity in ministry that was displayed in the taking up of this offering to the poor and its administration of it. That's what he's speaking of in the text that we just read when he says we carry out this act of grace being ministered to by us. He's talking about the collection that is then being distributed in accordance with the priorities that they had mentioned. And he has to do this because he recognized that even though that he is acting in financial integrity, there's a problem. <laughs> and the problem is that there have always been ministers who do not act that way with that integrity. 
I love the old story. I've probably heard it dozens of times of the old man who called his doctor, his lawyer, and his minister to his deathbed. They say you can't take it with you, said the dying man, but I'm going to. I have three envelopes here, each one with $100,000 in cash, and I want each one of you to take an envelope, and just before they close the casket, I want you to slip your envelope into my casket. And they all promised to do so. And at the end of the funeral, they did it. Three men made their way to the front to pay their respects, and they slipped the envelopes into the casket as it was being closed. But on the way home, the conscience-stricken doctor confided, I'm building a clinic. So I took $50,000 out of the envelope and put the rest in the coffin. And the lawyer confessed, I kept $75,000 for a legal defense fund that I'm putting together, and I put $25,000 into it. And at this, the preacher scolded the other men and he said, gentlemen, I am ashamed of you. Where is your integrity? Because I put in a check for the full amount. (laughs) That is what some people call integrity. But obviously it's not. But seriously, there are scammers out there. There are hucksters out there. You've seen it. I've seen it. And what it creates in a wide variety of people is skepticism when it comes to financial integrity. Prosperity gospel preachers of our day often sound to us like they are positive and uplifting on the outside. But ultimately, those preachers make promises that they cannot possibly keep. They pretend to speak for God, but they speak about him and for him falsely. And they do so for the sake of their financial gain. For example, perhaps most famously, faith healer Benny Hinn is known for his healing crusades in which he would preach and heal and in response people would give a financial gift. They would sow a seed for the ministry is the language that is often used. And all around the world, for decades, Benny Hinn would make millions and millions of dollars through these crusades. But here's the thing. He would take his entire entourage with him and on his way to that poor community to have a massive crusade in Africa, he would stop in Italy at a five-star resort for days and days and days with his entourage. And then on the way back after his two or three day crusade in that poor village in Central Africa, they would stop at a different resort in France and spend millions of dollars on the backs of the very poor people that they just ministered to. The prosperity gospel is ravaging parts of Africa even currently. Pastor David Oyedepo has pastored Living Faith Church in Nigeria, which is also known as the Winner's Chapel. That's where the winners go. And though he claims throughout his ministry that his prophetic visions 
and his words are directly from God himself. And as he has spoken to thousands of people, he has amassed for himself in the middle of that poor nation a personal fortune of 150 to 200 million dollars. Perhaps the most notorious of them all is longtime television preacher Kenneth Copeland, who made news again in September, just this last September, when he went on television to give a campaign asking his listeners to give money toward his new private jet because he didn't want to get vaccinated from COVID-19 and be stuck with the rest of the people in coach because he believed the vaccine was the mark of the beast. He failed to mention in the campaign that he already owns three private jets and by some accounts, five that are parked at his private airstrip. He also didn't mention that his personal net worth of $760 million through 40 years on television was more than enough to buy whatever jet he actually needed. But you know, we could give many examples and it is at times important to name names for such examples because as long as there has been people who are generous, there have been people who take advantage of generosity. And perhaps the most pointed example of that today is this prosperity gospel movement. But this is what Paul says in this book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, earlier in the book, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity and commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. And he points to three brothers who are part of this ministry of taking the collection and then distributing it accordingly. Three brothers that display financial integrity. If there's a problem of these hucksters, there's a solution, and it's people of integrity. And the first one that he mentions is Titus, who he calls the brother of earnest care. Titus is mentioned again at this point in the book as a spiritual brother of Paul. All three of these spiritual brothers exemplify a person, what a person should want to be known by in this life. And their presence points to integrity in the distribution of resources. Now we saw earlier in the chapter that Titus was strengthened and encouraged by the church at Corinth just as they were strengthened and encouraged by his presence. And this mutual encouragement and care for one another is a marker of all believers in Jesus. That is part of the function of church membership that we celebrate today with people. It's part of the function of our regular gathering together, mutual encouragement toward our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And in verse 16, he says that Titus has the same earnest care for them as Paul does. They knew him and he knew them and they knew that he was no phony. They trusted that he wasn't taking from them for himself. He wanted something for them. Friends, in our time, those who are dishonest have made 
people skeptical to a call to generosity, and in some ways rightfully so. But you know genuineness when you see it. You know true care and concern when you experience it. Like Titus, we can even say, even in our very own church, with regard to the issue of ongoing giving, is that we don't want something from you. (laughs) We want something for you. And we see in the Bible that generosity is actually for not only those who receive that generosity, but it is also for the givers of generosity as well. The second brother that Paul mentions is in verse 18. He calls this brother the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Why doesn't he tell us the guy's name? We don't really know for sure. But apparently the readers all knew who he was or had an idea. This was a man who was not marked by his looks, not by his status, not by his money. He was famous for something, but it was not the things that people are typically famous for. (laughs) He was famous for sharing the good news about the Lord Jesus with all the churches. And look at a few of the other descriptions. He was appointed by the churches, which meant that his character was such that he was trustworthy. And he was appointed to carry out this particular task. And, And then look at verse 21. Paul makes... A point when he says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Interesting. Friends, there are times in this life when you are called to do something regardless of what other people think. (laughs) You do it for God. You do it because you believe him. You do it because you want to be obedient to him. The seeds of the church were sown by the blood of men and women who died because in the face of what everybody in their culture believed, they believed God. And they were killed for it. However, there are also times when you seek to do what is honorable both in the sight of God and in the sight of people. And here's why. Because the gospel will be scandalous to many, but our behavior must not be. Friends, it's all too common today for people to excuse scandalous behavior by lumping it in with the scandal of the gospel when they are not the same thing. Nor should they be considered as such. The gospel may be scandalous, but our behavior should not be unless it is in the upholding of that gospel. And so here Paul is talking about being found honorable in the sight of men. He's obviously talking about the Christians who are participating in this grace of giving. Don't get me wrong. He's not 
talking about a democratic rule where all the members of all the different churches take a vote. He's not talking about the minor disagreements about this or that. He is asking the Christians to participate in giving and as a result, they should be widely understood as honorable in the ask and the administration of those gifts. What he's saying is that there should be integrity that's visible to all here. Naval officers often refer to the integrity of the hull. When a submarine comes out of dry dock, the first exercise is called a sea trial, which takes the submarine to a depth in the ocean to test the integrity of the hull. Naval personnel sometimes call this phase the shakedown cruise because it measures a vessel's performance under general seaworthiness. And if the integrity is compromised in any way, such as a poor weld, the stress and the pressure from increased depth of the ocean will inevitably find the weakness. These men and their mission passed the integrity test. And as a result, grace was given and glory was received by God through the gifts of his people. The third brother is mentioned very briefly. He is the brother who is earnest. Look at verse 22. And we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. (laughs) And that's pretty much all we know about him. To be earnest is to have eagerness and zeal to accomplish a task or to fulfill your obligation. The third brother was marked by this kind of eagerness. And that's it. That's all we know about him. He had energetic zeal and the mark of his character. Paul believed that he added to the effectiveness and the integrity of the mission. And so you have these three spiritual brothers all helping the mission of serving Christ by helping the churches help each other. By helping Christians help each other. By helping participate in the grace of giving and the administration of that very grace. And so there was a problem, which was financial impropriety. There was a solution, which was brothers of integrity. And now we see very briefly the result. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. It's amazing to me that the Lord calls his churches the glory of Christ. He continues to say, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you and these men. What's the result? The glory of Christ continues to be displayed in the love of brother and sister, church to church. The kingdom expands and God's glory is revealed. Grace was given and glory was received by God through the gifts of his people. You know, sometimes in life there are positive examples to be given. People that you need to look to. Sometimes you go to a funeral, you learn somebody, something about somebody happened yesterday here in our church. 
and you learn about somebody who is a positive example in so many ways, and you highlight those positive examples because they help us. They help the rest of us. Here we have Paul and Titus and two unnamed brothers functioning as examples to point us to the importance of integrity when it comes to the use of money and even money in ministry. During the time of the 12 Caesars, the Roman army would conduct morning inspections, and as the inspecting centurion would come in front of each legionnaire, the soldier would strike with his right fist on the armor breastplate that covered his heart. The armor had to be the strongest there in order to protect the heart from sword thrusts and arrow strikes. And as the soldier struck the armor, he would shout, Integritas! Integritas, in Latin, means material wholeness, completeness, and entirety. The inspecting centurion would listen closely for this affirmation and for the unique ring that well kept armor would give off and satisfied that the armor was sound that soldier and the soldier beneath was protected then he would move on down the line to the next soldier at about the same time the praetorians or the imperial bodyguards to the caesars were ascending into power and into influence and they received the finest equipment and armor they no longer had to shout integritas to signify that their armor was sound. Instead, they struck their breastplate and they would shout, Hail Caesar! To signify that their heart belonged to the emperor and his personage, not to their unit, not to an institution, and not to a code of ideals. They armored themselves to serve the cause of a single man. A century passed, and the rift between the legion and the imperial guard and its excesses continued to grow. To signify the difference between the two, the legionnaires, upon striking his armor, would no longer shout integritas, but he would shout integer. Integer means undiminished, complete, perfect. It was an indication that the armor was sound, but it also indicated that the soldier wearing the armor was of sound character. He was complete in his integrity. His heart was in the right place. His standards and his morals were high. He was not associated with the immoral conduct of those praetorians. The armor of integrity continued to serve the legion very well. Over four centuries, they held the line against Goths and Vandals. But in the year 383, the social decline that infected the Republic of Rome and infected the Praetorian Guard began to have its effects on the legion. And as the fourth century Roman general wrote, when because of negligence and laziness, Parade ground drills were abandoned. The customary armor began to feel heavy since the soldiers rarely, if ever, wore it. Therefore, they first asked the emperor to set aside the breastplates and the mail and then the helmets. So our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for their heart or their head and they were often beaten by archers. 
And although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried to restore their armor to the infantry. They took their armor off, and when the armor came off, so too their integrity. It was only a matter of a few years until the legion rotted from within and was unable to hold the frontiers. The barbarians were at the gates. Friends, we must never let down the armor of our integrity. Personally, morally, and even financially, if you do, rot from within will be the result. But if you stand in integrity, and if we stand in integrity, Christ receives the glory due to him as you continue to go through the battles of this life. Grace was given and glory was received by God through the giving of gifts of his saints. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for positive examples that despite the fact that in our skepticism, we always tend to look toward those who have cheated and swindled God, help us to see positive examples as compelling us toward a greater faith and faithfulness to you. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts even now in matters of integrity. That although this message is very corporate in its nature, that we know that our personal integrity is of great importance to you. God, help us to be honest. Convict us of areas where we have been dishonest. Help us to make right the ways that we have lacked integrity. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and providing us a way forward that we may stand before you with the righteousness of our Lord Jesus that is upon us and pursue integrity based on his righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.